welcome to season two of our Brave New You Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Lou Hamilton, co-founder with Meredith Hepner Chapman of Brave New You Apparel. I interview real-life brave new girls and guys who have chosen a road less traveled, risen to the challenges, and found the courage to keep going when the going gets tough. They share the lessons they've learned, their wins, and their vision for the future. Brave, bold, and sometimes bloody-minded, they bring you their stories from the edge. This week's guest is Tamara Raja, founder and CEO of Live Better With, a business helping people with chronic conditions such as cancer, menopause, and dementia. The youngest partner globally at McKinsey, Tamara entered the world of entrepreneurship when professional experience and personal circumstances propelled her to make a difference in healthcare provision. Welcome, Tamara, to Brave New You Tribe. Hi, Tamara. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Lou? Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Glad that we sort of feel like we're we're re-emerging somewhat, if not completely. Yeah, a few more tastes of freedom, aren't there? These yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to start by um, talking about a little bit about sort of how you've adjusted to, to lockdown. But but isn't it sort of slight introduction? Um, I first met you when I just published Brave New Girl, How to Be Fearless. And I was sort of looking to do something with the advance that I'd got from the book. And I was part of an angel investment group and you were pitching. And I don't know, I don't know whether it was your first round, was it? It was, it was our, it was our seeds, seed round. Yes. So we'd done an idea stage round, but that was, this was the first proper pitching and active fundraising. Well, I was so impressed and you just seemed to be like a real life brave new girl. So I wanted to put the advance into, you know, my little tiny contribution into helping you kick off. So it's really exciting for me to have you here on the podcast. Was it five years later? It is five years later. It's a total pleasure. And it's um, <laughs> you've really stayed in touch as the business has grown. And yeah, so glad you you came on board early on. It's amazing having watched you sort of grow from strength to strength. And and then who would have thought it? A global pandemic hits. And I I know that you have you have adapted, but I'd be really interested to hear sort of, you know, what what were your first thoughts when when we went into lockdown? What did you think was gonna happen? What actually happened and and how did you what did you implement to sort of make the changes that you needed to? Yeah, absolutely. I think my first thoughts were actually, having never lived through or seen anything like this, my first thoughts were, you know, well, this this will pass. And it's when when you're growing and starting and growing a business, there's so many bumps in the road anyway, that it didn't actually seem, I think we think about February time, it didn't actually seem that this was going to be an actual roadblock as opposed to just an, another day, another bump in the road. What actually really helped was starting to listen to some of the noise from those who had seen it and been there before. And um, I think people took their signals from previous recessions in particular. Obviously, nobody has lived through a, a pandemic like this, but other other events, macro events that have had similar effects on the economy, on the startup landscape, on funds, free funds available, um, on people's mindsets and behaviours and things that change when you do have some kind of macro event. And I had I was fortunate to have that from a few sources. So 
other founders who were saying, oh, hang on, I saw this in 2008, or I saw this, um, you know, the last time there was some kind of um, event like this, whichever country they happen to be in. And this is how I am looking at future-proofing the business. So that was one. And, and when there's a growing level of noise and discussion around that, I'm fortunate to be on quite a few founder networks. And the, the discussion was, hang on, what should we look ahead to, to think about? So that was one thing that helped me take notice. The other thing was just seeing some of the immediate ramifications maybe to some startups who were, were reliant on aspects of the economy or aspects of everyday life that completely changed. And particularly, I think this happened even before lockdown, where some startups, you know, the events-based ones or the ones relying on anything in person started to have to really quickly pivot or quickly rethink their strategy. And that, that again, was thinking, well, hang on, these are companies that were completely healthy flying yesterday. And, you know, who knows what can happen tomorrow? So all these sort of noise signals coming together led us to think, well, what what do we need to stay, take stock of? And I think that the, one of the prevailing phrases and wisdoms that were coming from advisors and board members was, it may be that the next nine months to a year to, to 18 months is about survival, not necessarily about growth in the previous way that you've been thinking about it. And the that really, you know, when somebody starts to say that a bit, and these are um, advisors who have helped you focus on that growth up till now, and they start to say, oh, hang on, you might just need to just hang on for a few months. So that then that adds together and you start thinking, well, hang, well, hang on what should we be doing differently? And uh, I think that when, as a sort of a founder who hasn't gone through this before, when you see others making some of the changes and being really decisive, that's not only a bit of a an impetus to do the same, but also it's a it's inspirational because you see people taking hard choices about their business that they never had envisaged. But you know in your gut that's the right thing to do because ultimately you want a business that comes out of this and that you can grow in the new world again. And it, there's no point kind of being indecisive for the sake of, you know, it's a hard decision and then you're going to you're gonna lose. Everybody's going to lose. Your team will lose. Your customers will lose. And so that was what kind of prompted me to really think about what we need to, to do differently. You are an online business, so so you weren't having to shift from from the sort of physical space and and the issues that sort of yeah events companies or people who are sort of actually on the ground. So you were already kind of a head start. So what were the issues that were that you could foresee and that that you actually saw happening? A couple of things. One is, even though we're online, where discretionary spend is going to go at the consumer level. And that is something that you can't predict. Now, for example, there are some there are a lot of businesses who've really actually benefited in the last few months. I think online sort of general e-commerce has obviously taken a huge hit. People can't go to the shops, there's been more online. Um, it's a direct corollary of what's happening day to day that means an online business will succeed. Now, when you have you factor in other things like unemployment increasing like people unsure unsure and therefore being more careful when people are thinking well hang on you know I'm, I'm focusing elsewhere I, I'm distracted I, I need to just concentrate on the day-to-day -day. I'm not thinking about additional things then that's where we just didn't know what was going to happen on that front and as a business so our platform as you know Lou is focusing on people with health conditions but providing that extra practical support to help get through the day-to-day -day. it's very difficult to predict what the behavior will look like and I, I can tell you about some of the positive 
uh, signs that we've seen, but it's very hard to predict how that will go on a commercial front, even if usage is, is increasing because people are at home. So that was one factor. The other factor was all of the advice we got was to really be conservative with cash and cash and um, be very prudent about cash flow. And the reason for that is that the funding landscape instantly changes. I mean, over a period of a few weeks, it goes from buoyant to cautious. And although there is still cash for investment, there are people who are looking to, to make investments. There are all of these other sort of warning signals and caution factors in people's heads. And therefore, when you can't, you can never predict fundraising. But when you really are in a different environment, it doesn't make sense to be sort of a little bit more uh, willing to take risks on the cash front in order for growth, which is the tr more traditional mindset. I mean, the growth, the capital you get is growth capital. It's so that you can pump the fuel in the business and see where it can go to. But that that just doesn't make sense when you don't know where the next fuel is, is maybe coming from. So those were the real two things, not knowing on the consumer front what might happen and not knowing on the cash front what might happen. And as a result of both of those, we decided to be to be more prudent, but to keep growing in a different way. So we decided to be more prudent on the cash front and literally look at our cash base and see where we can be careful and extend our runway by several months so that we can hang on through this. So that was one thing. The other thing was looking at, well, if we are not actively investing in the same type of growth as before, what is it that where do we have the signals from users that we should continue to grow and we should continue to build? Um, and for us, that involved launching an, actually a new commercial stream and using the last few months to get that off the ground. So building a version of our product that will be relevant to, to workforces, to employers and so on. Um, that's something that we've had great demand for, but hadn't really focused on um, or we've done it and thought about it in parallel to lots of other things. And that we've taken the last few months to really think about that. And it's given us the time to build the kind of product that we need and we're ready, sort of ready to go. And I think that's been, I, I mentioned before, there are some, there are some positive signs. We've seen actually, even if spending patterns change, when you have a platform that's helping provide support for health conditions, and it's a time when the healthcare system is really stretched and has other priorities quite naturally. And we've seen the headlines about people, you know, cancer treatments being delayed and people being hesitant to go and seek support in person because of fears of, of what they might catch or, or the health risks of doing so. It's a time when people with health conditions are actually online looking for the kind of support. Now, how has that changed? Well, the content that we have is really, really valuable. It's People can sit at home and read about how to self-manage side effects and symptoms. And we've designed it. It's been written. So you, you are looking at how you manage things in the home, which is exactly where people are right now. The other angle is, you know, expert support. When you can't necessarily go and visit a nutritionist or you're not going to your GP, how can you still find the kind of support that you need and having a for example we we moved our, our forum from being a sort of chat forum to an expert Q&A hub, like a kind of Quora for each condition. So we have experts sitting there. You can just type. You don't need to go anywhere. Type online, type your question. And within a, a day or so, you'll get a, a written response. And that gives you the kind of ongoing day to day support that is actually pretty hard to find at the moment. So it's been, you know, a, a journey. I think the pandemic has caused a few things for the better, as well as difficult decisions, which again, who could have predicted back in February? That's a really interesting development in the business because, yes, people have been sort of reluctant to 
sort of access themselves into the healthcare system because they're sort of wanting to leave room for uh, COVID patients or feeling nervous that, you know, they don't actually want to go into those physical spaces to, to get the help that they need. So the fact that you've shifted the business in that way so that they can self-manage, they can sort of access more information that's more sort of targeted specifically to them. Is that something that you would have made the change towards that kind of uh, service? Were you thinking about that already? Were you were you sort of pushed into sort of moving more quickly onto that? We were thinking about it. And what this has done is really catalyzed what we've catalyzed our moving forward on it. Because of being prudent, we've made some we've made decisions instead of doing things in parallel. So we've we we've seen what's most valuable, which we have seen more than ever before. Um, so that's the thing that's that's really st- stuck out. And therefore, we've moved quicker on enhancing our offering in that sense so you know we are building at the moment a subscription version of our platform because actually what's really valuable is being able to have access to the content the ever-evolving ever-updating content and the experts on a daily basis rather than necessarily being able to access products when you want or services when you want now those are all compliments but it's sort of changing I think if you imagine the sort of the dials on a on a on a dashboard, it sort of turned up the dials of on the content and the expert advice um, parts of the platform, and and making us respond to that um, commercially as well. I want to talk about the conditions that you've chosen to um, cover first, but before that, I'd like to sort of take you back to where you were before this sort of entrepreneurial world whisked you away. So you were the youngest partner globally for McKinsey and Company, um, which is a healthcare company. Um, how did you get to to that? Had you always been interested in healthcare? What was your background? How did you kind of fly so quickly? So I'm a scientist by background. I studied science. I spent various summers and so on in in research labs, and I've always had an interest in health and originally years ago when I was little wanted to be a doctor then realized I love the science aspect and so it's always been there as an area that I'd really like to to focus on and I studied science I did a master's after in um, bioscience enterprise which is actually about commercializing science and how you take research and actually turn it into a company and that piqued my interest in the business angle and, and really how healthcare and the commercial and business angles of healthcare can really help make ideas and innovations fly if you can get to it's the way you can you can get something to people um is by commercializing it in the the crudest form and so uh, i joined mckinsey back in 2004 to learn about business more generally now mckinsey is actually a general generalist strategic consulting company so serves all different kinds of sectors but and i did my time in sort of packaged goods and oil and gas and so on but very early on I was able to get my taste into the healthcare system because McKinsey is fortunate to work with the public healthcare system the private healthcare system and the all of the pharma companies insurers and so on so it sort of covers every aspect of healthcare and the healthcare ecosystem that you could think of and so I ended up spending probably about 90% of my time in healthcare and I got to work with every single type of organization actually both in the UK and in the US where I I went and moved when I made partner. Moving through McKinsey was, I think I was incredibly fortunate to 
it's, it's just the greatest group of people. Um, it is it, people is what can make you fly. And in addition to having amazing colleagues, McKinsey places a real value on coaching and development and feedback and mentorship and so on. And I was I was fortunate on those fronts. I think I got I got amazing feedback. I got amazing development coaching, both as both on the sort of subject matter, you know, how do you consult that that kind of thing, but more you know broader than that, leadership, communications, management, all of the essentials that I could then later actually take into into growing my own company. But it's what you both see from others who you work with, and also. I was exposed to so many different kinds of businesses and so many different kinds of clients. So you get to see a lot of how businesses scale and then how large businesses grow and how actually how startups and innovation can help at every angle, both the public public sector, but also within large companies as well. So I think, you know, I was I was able to move through pretty quickly thanks to thanks to others. Um, and I always think of my mentors at McKinsey and they not only gave me advice, but they actually actively opened doors for me. So I was really lucky to have a couple of people who would say, this is what you should be doing next. And I'm going to make the phone call to the other person who's going to help, who's going to make that happen for you. And I'm going to make sure that that happens. And that's I think that's really important when you're sort of going up a career ladder is that people not only sort of give you well-meaning advice about what you should do, but then they make it happen because it's really hard to, you can't make that necessarily make that call to someone more senior and say, I would like to do this now. Or I'd like this opportunity, but someone else, their peer can. Um, and so that's, that's just something that's really stuck. I was, I was lucky it helped my McKinsey career. And then um, something that really stuck with me is I think it's a trait that every leader needs to, to have is how are you pulling up? those more junior to you through a company actively pulling them up like literally a hand on shoulder pulling them through that's really interesting to hear in a big organization because you hear so many times of discrimination and prejudice and and glass ceilings so was that a culture that that just didn't exist at McKinsey I would say so. And I, I would say so. I didn't encounter it. And I'm I'm aware that everybody's personal journey is different. But I when I emerged from McKinsey, I was quite surprised. I mean, when you're there, you're kind of a bit single minded. And I didn't really I thought, well, that doesn't apply to me. And, and hearing stories from friends and others of where it has applied to them, I was quite surprised. I just hadn't encountered it. And that was the first sort of 10, 11 years of my career really lucky not to have but I didn't find that in the culture it didn't strike me you know being female I I've I certainly you know there were certain initiatives and so on there's certain coaching programs with certain mental programs and so on and and perhaps indirectly that that was actually what contributes to that kind of culture but I never felt well hang on I'm going to have less of a chance of making partner through any form of anything to do with discrimination I'm very very glad about that it's really encouraging to hear that, that, you know, that there are cultures, there are companies out there who understand how to help people grow and and will sort of help them push themselves to their fullest ability. So it was for you, it was all about how far you could go within your own capacity and how big could you, could you be? You know, what what was the best you could be? And that was down to you. Exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. The more you want to, the more you want to do. It's not just quantity of what you want to do. The more opportunities you want, the different types of things you want to do. I mean, you can you can become a more of a people leader, you know, where you want to 
focus on growing amazing teams and focus on the people side of things and become more of a um, maybe a thought leader focusing on the problem solving the strategic side of things you know wh whatever element you wanted to develop in I felt that you could sort of pick that and go at it if you wanted to and that with and with nothing really stopping you other than opportunities and I do think I think regardless of gender or anything that if you have the right kind of mentors and people helping you do that then it to me that made it possible and I I didn't see any difference between my peers and myself and now I realize how lucky that was well you know if it can happen in one company then it can happen elsewhere and, and you know now we have the example you know no one can say it's not possible because it's been done so you were in a really good position what made you decide to go into entrepreneurship yeah, it's a really good question. What I didn't do was weigh up sort of the pros and cons, I don't know, financially in a career perspective, all of that, because I had spent, you know, this time going up the ladder in one career and it, I could have just stayed. Um, I think what what drove me to, to jump ship from McKinsey was that I had I had the idea for Live Better. I'd, I'd always, I'll say a couple of things. I had always wanted to start a business. So I dabbled in it at university. I started a clothing company in parallel to McKinsey, which I ran for a few years as well. Um, I worked on a lot of entrepreneurial in initiatives within McKinsey. And then when the idea of Live as, as I became partner, and then I was thinking about, you know, the next steps to become senior partner, and you're very much on the client development side of things. And I was thinking, well, my is this the time now to go all in on starting my own business as opposed to sort of doing it on the side or doing it as an initiative rather than the day job? At the same time, I had the idea for Live Better With. And that came as a, the idea for Live Better With came as a direct result of the work I was doing, particularly focusing on long-term condition planning for countries and for different regions. So I was working in the UK with the UK government on the national cancer, genomics, dementia, life sciences strategies. And the same in the US, I was fortunate to be living there when Obamacare was coming in and it requires a time of great change at the state level. Each state had to kind of look at their population demographics and see which are the chronic conditions that are going to be most prevalent in the next, not just in the next year, but like into the future. And how do you design a system that's actually going to going to serve the people in the in the in the kind of patterns you need? And that varies state by state. So you know, whether it's cardiovascular disease or obesity or diabetes or cancer, whatever it may be, lots of changing things. And and what I was seeing day to day was that the medical side of things is in the UK and the US at least pretty well taken care of. And I say that fully conscious that you know the US you have to pay for some treatments. It's not as easy. The UK we're fortunate, in my opinion, fortunate to have the NHS and and there's a lot of there's there's many system differences, but ultimately you can access the kind of treatment um, that you need and you can uh, get the protocols the protocols are set out so if you're diagnosed with something you know the journey is kind of laid out for you here's where you go next here's what you need to do here's where you show up here's what you take but people with long-term conditions are living about 95 percent of their time outside of the medical setting um, at home living with the symptoms and side effects day in day out and there isn't the information out there to say this is how if you feel these symptoms and side effects this is what you can do about it to just make yourself feel that little bit better and I'm not talking about treating or curing anything what I'm talking about is 
people find out about little tips, products, services, ideas, um, things to try from a friend of a friend or from someone in a support group. It's totally fragmented. And actually what I was learning is there are hundreds of things by condition that you can do or buy or think about or, or your loved one can do that could just mean that you have a bit more of a normal, and I said normal as in if you didn't have that health condition, day-to-day -day life. And when it comes to things like being able to feed yourself your own meal or just go for a walk or take your kids to school, that is that is quality of life. That's what we all take for granted. And when it's gone, it's really debilitating. And to me, it was very, very frustrating that when you are living with a long term condition, you don't have everything that could be helpful at your fingertips and for anything else that exists in the world you know if we want fashion or electronics or food or anything you can find trusted websites that give you everything the content the expert advice they tell you what are the top recommended things um there's reviews and everything and you don't have to look very hard but at a time in your life when the sort of the search cost should be absolutely zero you should not be googling for hours to find what's trusted there just wasn't a platform for consumers focusing on this. And so that really frustrated me. It just seemed that that should exist. And so what coincided was thinking, this is the time to take all of my learnings, business, healthcare and beyond. And if I want to do it, it's a good time in my career to sort of jump off and, and try it. And the idea eating away at me thinking this needs to exist and I can see how we could build it. And those two things kind of collided and I decided to resign from McKinsey five years ago and um, and, and I said not look back I, I didn't do the the sort of analytical exercise of whether that was the perfect timing or the perfect decision but um, but definitely personally it was the right time. When you did that initial pitch what was really powerful to me and what I find over and over again that when someone's purpose is driven by something personal it has the power to really drive them through all the hardships of setting up a, a business would you be prepared to talk about you know your own personal experience with your with your family and what they experienced or what you experienced for them in that sense of lack outside of the brilliant medical care yes absolutely I mean and both my grandparents had long-term health conditions and um, my grandmother had dementia for many years my grandfather had lung cancer and the it is so frustrating as a family member to realize after the after when it's too late that actually there were lots of things that you could have done or bought or found or uh, told them about that would have meant that their their time living with that condition was actually as high a quality of life as possible and again, it's the simplest examples like being able to eat or read a book or go for a walk. These are the kind of things that really are what day to day life is about when it comes down to it. And um, and to not know that actually there were things that would have made a difference is is the worst. And that it's happening. If it's happening for, for my family, it's happening for millions of families. And that is that's just wrong. And I fully understand. I think that the healthcare system needs to focus on they focus on treatment, they focus on outcomes. And there are so many wonderful organisations focusing on the emotional side of support, the financial support, um, all of the different you know, mobility, practical support on that front. But that leaves there's still a gap. 
And that gap is really, you see it firsthand that there isn't, you know, when there are things that you can do at home and people don't know about it, that's a, just a big piece of the pie that's missing um, or piece of puzzle. And um, and yeah, that really brought it home for me. And the more I researched, the more I was seeing, you know, hang on, this would have been really useful. This would have been really useful. This could have at least have suggested. And uh, yeah, people shouldn't be finding out about these things years later. That's that makes no sense. And I think we the best feedback we get nowadays, I think all commercials aside, is when when we get the stories of saying, well, I found this and it meant I could eat my Christmas dinner for the first time in years or I got this and it meant my grandpa could go for a walk or, you know, I was able to go to work today and concentrate um, or I slept last night or, you know, I could I could swallow whatever it might be. You know, it's something that meant that day to day life could could continue a little bit more um, as normal. At the very beginning, you had the sort of huge vision to create live better with dot 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 basically any chronic condition that there that there is known to to humankind but as with anything we do things step by step so you started (laughs) with live better with cancer I mean obviously we have was it 50,000 people being diagnosed with cancer every year is that in the UK yeah I mean it's coming to one in two it's one in three one in two living with diagnosed with the other rates are worrying obviously that's a sort of massive issue that's a lot of people living with it who are going through treatment who have been recently diagnosed who are at end stage there's a lot of areas with even within just one condition to cover I mean it's a big decision to decide that that's the one that you're going to go for so what was that based on it was actually based it was based on a few things um there are you're totally right there there were and still are um huge huge ambitions to cover many many conditions we had to pick one to get started and almost build that playbook and cancer there are defined I'd worked in the field of cancer um I'd worked on on different funds you know from working with the governments on it for what's the national strategies to for, for living with dealing with working with cancer through to you know supporting a pharma company on an oncology product so um, I'd seen it from many many angles quite familiar knew that it's affecting many many people and we could get to impact on people's lives really um, instantly almost with something that was that was supporting it's got a defined set of side effects and symptoms when I say defined it's very very long and it's different for every single person but it's something that we could get our arms around and say okay um, we did a lot of of interviews with people living with cancer caring for someone with cancer and we were able to build up kind of here's the picture of what are the symptoms and side effects that is affecting people's day-to-day life and then what are the the things that actually that there are things that can help and I think when you see those two pieces of the puzzle and you also see the pain points the pain points are really clear one for cancer there are there are a lot of things out there that can help people and secondly people and but people don't know about them secondly even if they know about them they don't know what's trusted and I think those two things together apply for cancer they do apply for many others but we that's why we decided to get going um, with that and um, and build the first product around that. I was really interested to see in that sort of first model was that you put a great emphasis on two things. One was what a customer or a client is feeling and leading their search through what they're feeling and and the sort of the effects of, of various symptoms, but also the impact of community. So you know, if if I chose, if I'm finding that I've got an itchy head, I'm led to this product. But then 
other people who have also had itchy heads, itchy scalp, are saying, well, I've got this and this is the product I've used. It's really helped me. But also an associated symptom is this and this is what's helped me. So there's a sort of ecosystem with, within that and, and you're an expert in ecosystems. So was that very much part of, of the plan? Uh, yes, there is a, I think community drives all we do and in many different forms. I think the traditional form of community is that you basically have some kind of forum and people talk on it. And I think we've what we've done from the beginning is is our definition of community is kind of way beyond that. What we've tried to do is become a part of the community for each condition. And the same way a charity is part of the community or a, um, a particular organisation that supports their employers as part of the community, we've, we've tried to position ourselves there. And, and what that has meant is, is a few things. One is we rely on the community to shape the platform. So there is very little point us being a sort of super google where we've just googled and filtered a bunch of things and then we put it on a on a nice platform um what we want to know and what we want to bring to people is the knowledge of of what has helped someone else now we're really careful to say to to make it really clear that what helps you won't necessarily help me but that's not the point what i want is that you know both those you know you know all of the things that could or have helped somebody else um but we need that first-hand description as well so we need to know oh, this is what i tried and, and so on so we that's the first thing community gives us the recommendations now it's not just from people living with the condition themselves it's from their loved ones carers and then it's also from doctors nurses nutritionists exercise experts it's from the experts who are dealing with this on a day-to-day -day basis and see what makes a difference and see what doesn't make a difference as well and that's how we can build up the sort of the trusted nature of what we get by using the community we also use the community to accredit the site so we do an audit we just finished it for this year which is going through all of the content that we have on the site and saying here's the stamp of approval this has been reviewed by a doctor or nurse and this is this you can count on this as being trusted so we use the community to curate and to validate what we have on the platform that's one thing the second thing for community for us is around the sort of the partnerships that we build so i mentioned before we're one piece of a puzzle and we're, we're super conscious of that we're not trying to duplicate what others are doing and so but what we want to bring to the person with a condition is the sense of where we sit in that puzzle and the best way we can do that is through forming partnerships and relationships with others in the community even now some of those are really direct you know we tell them we tell their users about us about them and they tell their uh, users about us and, and and you know it works as a sort of mutual collaboration on communication front and talk, talking about the business but it's a bit more than that where we will form relationships and with others even just to signpost because you know we don't for example we don't make solutions ourselves we don't you know do anything around treatment now if we find something useful we would want to bring it to someone's attention or at least know where we fit within that so we do try and get a good sense of who is, is the ecosystem to use the word um, around each condition and to make sure that we we are a part of it and and we 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 have relationships with others in it as well and we've done that for every condition and so that's the second the first is curating and validating second is around the partnerships third is actually the peer-to-peer -peer and expert-to-peer direct support that is provided and there now I said you know that's often thought of as the most traditional form we've done a lot of testing I mean we're five years in now to see what actually is really valuable and there's a couple of sources of support one is when you have a forum where people can just 
chat, ask each other questions, but it, it's, it doesn't need to be focused. It's just talking to other people who are going through the same thing or talking to experts who really understand. And that's more conversational. The other is what, what I mentioned is how can we provide that practical support to each other and ask the questions that went, that are needed around the practical side of living with a condition so symptoms side effects what is a Q&A that really makes a difference so for example you know I I'm having hot flushes today and, and I'm sat at work has anybody got any tips for what I can do about it or I'm caring for my parent with dementia, again, you know, I'm trying to balance that. I'm going to work. How can I? Anybody got any tips? So there's a, really the, the practical side of dealing with it is where we've evolved through to. So, yeah, community to us has really been at the heart of the trust and the activity on the site from the beginning. So it's really interesting and I was sort of intrigued to know what your next condition was going to be after for, after cancer. And and when you revealed to us that it was going to be menopause, I was well, I was delighted because I was actually going into menopause. Um, so that was brilliant for me. But it was quite an unusual uh, step and an unusual choice. And and when you said that actually a lot of the, the conditions and the symptoms are very similar to cancer. So you you were already sort of you had the umbrella. So bringing in another condition into that under that umbrella was was sort of a rather an, an obvious uh, one for you. Can you talk a bit about that? Yes, and I, I appreciate it. it's a sort of unusual second one. Um, it, it We chose it for a number of different reasons. One, one was actually um, people, some of our community living with cancer were going through early menopause or going through menopause, either as a result of treatment or because they're of the age going through menopause. And so we had introduced menopause as a, as a sort of side effect of when living with cancer and we noticed it taking on a bit of a life of its own being shared to people not living with cancer and so on and so that was that was one signal the second was we as you, you talked about our ambition to scale to so many conditions and so choosing a condition that's a little bit different and seeing if our playbook our model works for that was really interesting to us and so you know menopause isn't something you're not diagnosed you're not you're not termed ill or unwell it's very different from that kind of mindset and so on but actually it is a condition that comes or it's a state of being that results in a number of symptoms and side effects and they are things that really affect day-to-day -day life and there are lots of things that can be done about it practically people don't know about them even if they know about it they don't really know where to find trusted information so it hits a lot of the same sort of same things from a mission standpoint and then we wanted to see if the model would work yes uh, when we looked into it deeper there are many similar side effects and symptoms things around fatigue anxiety body temperature regulation for example many overlaps with what we'd already looked into and so it was interesting for us that we could take some of the learnings of what's helpful from one condition to another as well but what it confirmed for us as well that we can we can apply the live better with model to multiple conditions even if they're quite different and it fulfills the goal of, of helping people self-manage their symptoms and side effects. A couple of weeks ago I had Karen Arthur on uh, the podcast and she was talking about how living with menopause as a black woman there are kind of very specific differences one was that um, in some of her the research that she'd done was that black women were getting menopause earlier, that their symptoms were often 
more acute. And, and where with white women, quite often with menopause, the symptoms sort of s- slowly start to disappear over time, uh, that for black women, they, they increased. So how have you, in the interest of inclusivity, looked at that side of uh, the menopause condition? That's a really interesting one. So that has come up, came up early on, actually. And what we, we've, we've done a couple of things, we've got a lot more to do. Um, one is making sure that our user research has been um, from a, a diverse user base. And ethnicity is one, age even is another. Um, there are women going through the, the menopause, perimenopause in, in their 30s. Um, versus some going through it late 40s early 50s it's very it's different and and then another has been the, the the cause if I can say that in quotes of menopause as well there are some who are going through it as a result of treatment like I mentioned there are some going through it because that's of you know age and stage of life and so what on all of these elements what we've tried to do is get have a diversity of women when we redo all of the research into need different need states so by side effects by symptom and so on we've also tried to showcase different stories so we have a lot of a lot of our content is user driven so we have tips and and so on from from women from all different walks of life ethnicities ages um backgrounds current current lifestyles etc and we try and showcase all of that and we've tried to be as all inclusive in our advice as possible another another thing we've really tried is on the um on the actual ux and ui of the site um because we we had we realized early on i think when you start a business you sort of use stock imagery um and you try and get something up quickly you're just not heading for the the diverse inclusive um website so uh we we tried to correct for that again showcasing um making it people feel from any different background any different uh, walk of life, etc., that they feel represented on the site, even visually. Now, I think we can do miles more. I think what you've you've highlighted. I I don't think we've got the strong user stories where it's this is the difference I felt versus this is the difference someone else is feeling. I think we can do more on that front, and it's something we'll continue to look, to look at. And then your third condition was a leap again, and this was uh, into dementia. Yes obviously, again, an increasing problem, sadly. And uh, what was the, the, the reasoning behind that one as your third? Dementia is an interesting one. Again, we, we were looking at what our third condition should be. We were interested in either going more along the lines of another condition that, you know, had maybe a completely different set of side effects and symptoms. So we're looking at, for example, diabetes or so on. Very different, not an overlap with cancer or menopause. Um, the other thing we were thinking about was a condition where the user isn't necessarily or isn't in the majority the person living with the condition. Um, because there are many conditions where actually the user is maybe the child or a relative or a loved one of the person actually living with the condition. And dementia is one of those. Um, more often than not, it is the, it is the child, it is the um, spouse um, of the person going through it who is the one looking at the support and looking at how to help manage the, um, the symptoms. So that for us was and was one of the things we were thinking about we actually ended up it was a a bit of a a serendipitous timing we ended up um talking with another startup called unforgettable um who had been focusing just on dementia 
and um, sort of the timing worked out and we decided that we would decide we would acquire them, um, which we did last year. And that that was what led us to, you know, to bring you on dementia as our third condition. And it it did. So we went along that route, sort of parked the let's test um, a completely different condition with a completely different set of side effects and symptoms to to well, next few months. Um, and then um, we were going on from going on from there. So that was what led it to our third condition. The other interesting thing is that it actually opens us up to a number of neurological conditions, because it's also given us insight into that and um, that world. And that's, that's something that we hadn't quite seen would be an, a benefit at the beginning, but actually it, it really is. Yes, because something like Parkinson's, I read that was going up in Europe sort of by 40%. Which I mean, that's a very steep incline. Yes, isn't it? And, yes, yeah, absolutely. And sort of back to the ecosystem, you know, if you've got cancer, that doesn't stop you getting dementia um, and it doesn't stop you having menopause and, and other conditions. So, so, it, so I can see how as you grow with the various conditions that you know you're in you may be in one condition but then you can be looking um across the the bowels to another condition to sort of help you with that and and so you are sort of it's almost like a sort of spider's web of of support isn't it sadly yes i think the level of comorbidities that's where someone's living with one or more condition is really high and so we want to be seen as that plat that go-to platform no matter the condition that you'll find some kind of support and to make it easy i mean you know from a, even from a tech perspective what's the single login that means that you can just navigate between conditions and not even have to think twice about it and um, how can you sign up you know we make sure we do, i think we do a couple of things one is that we make sure we want to be comprehensive so you know we still have that vision of multiple conditions but the other thing is we want to make it easy that you can access as many as you need but we want to make sure that each is as tailored and relevant as possible so that when you're in it's not a general site it's not a general sort of health company where you just you know you can't sleep properly and there's a general solution of that if you can't sleep properly because you've had chemo and and that's you know some effect of that's been keeping you up versus you can't sleep properly because you're going through the menopause those are two different things and we don't want someone to just feel bucketed in a I couldn't sleep that's not the point so whilst we want people to access many conditions and that will help mean that each person the platform becomes increasingly useful the more we add conditions we also want to make sure that you enter a particular world around that so we will continue to make sure that the everything from the tone of voice imagery the content we write the way we gear the content it's about if you're if I am living with x and I'm feeling x this is what other people with x found helpful and so we'll keep trying to be specific whilst we whilst we add on more conditions but yeah it is it is sadly true that one each single person might be able to use our platform for multiple reasons so moving forward what have been the the sort of the real hiccups I mean, we've talked about lockdown, <laughs> uh, can't probably get bigger than that. But, you know, the things that have been really tough and and how have you sort of what lessons have you learned from that and and where um, is your vision taking you? So, uh, I mean, there's many I said at the beginning, you know, there's a bump on the road almost every day. You know, you're figuring out uh, how do we solve this? How do we solve that? I think what I've learned is um, the importance of getting a few things really right. I think, you know, on the people side, um, having 
a great team and making really selective hiring decisions is crucial. And I say that from experience. And it's um, I think it's it's hard to almost get past. I, I, this is an ongoing debate. I'm sure you've had it with many people. Um, I've certainly had it with many other founders and many other many other leaders is, is um, how do you actually find the person who's going to make your business fly? And also, how do you uh, when you realize they're not? Um, acting on it and I think for me that's one of the hardest things um, on both fronts making the right decision and then correcting your decision if it needs to be almost I would prefer if there's a business problem I find that um, I find it stressful but I find it it's something that can be broken down and tackled people I think it depends the kind of person you are people I, I emotionally find that's what keeps me up at night you know um, what's what someone's doing how they're feeling managing a team running a team I think that's been some of the hardest things and I think that the hiccups have been where we um, should have had somebody a certain profile in a certain role at that certain time and that would have made us go fast and go better and so on um, and we didn't I think the other things, you know, there's so many lessons around, for example, you take the tech side of things, you know, how do you avoid building up technical debt? How do you actually think about five years ago, if I do this again, what would I think about on the tech perspective now? Well, I would think about what's the platform that's going to withstand the test of time, um, how much off the shelf but off the shelf versus customization do we actually want to do? How much do we want to invest in tech um, upfront versus as we go along? who all of these kind of questions because I think you you make some decisions I, I knew very little about the tech side when I started I know a whole lot, lot more now there's decisions that I wouldn't wouldn't have made I'd have made different ones to keep our make sure we didn't have to do certain changes later down the line and so on so those are those are some of the things that that I think we've had hiccups on learned a lot from and now are um, using all our learnings to, to go fast into the future I think another one is just realizing the power of your data earlier on I wouldn't say that's necessarily a hiccup. I'd say it's, it's kind of a missed opportunity. We've realized how much insight and richness we actually have, you know, had our first data hire last last year. Um, and uh, actually, that's just, it, it fuels a company data. And I think now, you know, we're using that to drive us into the future. And that's something that's been a massive leap. So, so many things that even if you didn't realize there were hiccups at the time actually can make you go quicker and faster. And these, these are just a few. I could talk to you for another hour on um, on lessons learned <laughs> from the last five years. So scaling at the level that you're scaling, big thinking, blue sky thinking, it's kind of every condition that you can that you can sort of gather un, under your wing. But as a vision, how do you see it? To me, we want to be able to have an impact on the quality of life for every person in the world who's living with a health condition. That takes us on a few different dimensions. It obviously takes us on the condition front that we've discussed. We have many, we have a short list, long list of 26 that we've thought about strategically. Um, we have a list of about eight to 10 that we want to get to in the foreseeable future. Um, so the conditions is definitely one element. The other has to be then geography. If we're going to reach everyone in the world, we designed our platform to be open from the beginning. Um, we actually focused on the UK and the US up till now, um, but it is open and we have about 10% of our users coming from about 40 different countries in the world. So that's been great for us to already be global almost from day one. Um, that's something we definitely need to think about in the future. Even for now, though, we're going to concentrate on the UK and the US. And I think then the other element is 
how we reach people. And so we've gone direct to consumer. We're about to go to workforces. Um, and I think there's many other routes we could think about in the future as well. So those are the sort of the three axes I see is the conditions, the geography, and then the sort of the distribution, for want of a better word, the the um, access, the ways people can access us. Um, those are the those are the things that that are going to drive us, drive where we get to and what we do in what order. Well, I spotted you as a brave new girl all those years years back. How do you define courage? To me, I think I use the words courage and resilience a little bit interchangeably. I, I think to me it's that you keep going no matter the ups and downs. So you have a sort of, you know, waves of ups and downs every single day. And if you have courage or if you're resilient, you kind of keep a steady keel through that um, and you means it, it's having the mindset and the energy to to think how do I solve this how do I tackle this what's the next step rather than oh gosh that's what happened and not being able to pick up and, and move forward and so that's the way I've thought about courage is literally a bit, bit of a positive mindset looking at things glass half full and trying to always see the upside and see see the upside, but also look for the way through as your immediate step. What well, okay, fine, it happened. What are we going to do about it? And that's the way I think about trying to be courageous, at least. Yeah, I think that's a really good combination, a sort of positive mindset and then taking action. So, well, you are a brave new girl. Who would you recommend as another brave new girl for us to interview? Um, I'm actually going to send you a list, Lou, because I've been really fortunate to to meet with many female founders over the last five years. And in particular, there's a group that we went on a, a mission to a trade mission to Silicon Valley back in 2016. And we visited all of the big tech companies and it really inspired us all. But more than I mean, the trip was fantastic. But more than that, we formed a WhatsApp group at the time. Um, and we are daily, even now, what's it, four years, four and a half years now. It's active daily. We meet once a month and they're the biggest source of support. There are a tribe. I saw that you're calling it Brave New Girl Tribe. Uh, we've called ourselves a tribe. Um, and I'm going to send you the list of all of them because I can't pick one. Um, so I'll do that. Yes, please. That I'm really excited about that. Thank you. So thank you so much, Tamara, for creating such a responsive service for supporting people live better with cancer, menopause and dementia and many more conditions to come. I really wish you well for the future as you grow and help more and more people across the globe. Thank you, Tamara. And I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Tamara, for showing us that when you see something is missing in the world, that it is possible to create a life-changing business from scratch, built on passion, purpose and vision. Find Tamara's work on www.livebetterwith.com and follow on Instagram at livebetterwithcancer or at livebetterwithmenopause. Thanks also to Podstar PR for producing the series and to you, our tribe, for listening. Download, rate and review on your podcast provider so that we can keep bringing you this free podcast. Goodbye for now and see you next time.